Okay, tonight we're going to be talking about evangelism and the believer. So it should be an interesting topic. And uh, let's happen in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you again for, uh, for our church. We thank you for being able to gather here freely to study your word, uh, to uh, meet in fellowship with one another, to bring praise and glory and honor to your name. The goal of the church is to make Christ known and his word clear, and Father, help us to do that even tonight, that we might go away from here having a better understanding of evangelism and a, and a better challenge in our hearts, and we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So evangelism is one of the things that we are commanded to do. It's not something that was optional. Uh, Mark fifteen sixteen says, and he said to them, go into the world, preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke 24, 46 and 47, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is probably the one that most everybody refers to when they think about evangelism, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So God, Christ gave us a command to go. He's something he wanted us to do. He wanted us to share the gospel, to propagate it, to, to let people know the glorious good news. And you know, there's probably nothing more important for us to do in the day that we live in today than it has been any other time in history. Uh, when we look at the world the way that it's deteriorating, not just our country, but the whole world, uh, hurtling towards one world government and one world leader and what do they call it, a global reset and all the other garbage that's going on out there, the only thing that we can really do is do what? Share people the gospel. It's the only hope we have. It's the only truth that exists. In a, in a lost and dying world, is to be able to go out and share it. Now, the reason I added this particular passage here about, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's probably why we're here. That's why we gather here every Sunday uh, in this church, is to be equipped to do the work of ministry whether it's evangelism, it's reaching out, it's meeting somebody's needs, it's teaching, it's, uh, it's encouraging, whatever it might be. Maybe it's even sitting across the hall with, across from Mark for counseling or giving counsel or learning how to counsel. And the whole purpose that God gave these individuals was for that purpose of teaching us how to do those things, how that we can be equipped to do it, grinding us, grounding us in his word, so that we're equipped to do the work that he's called us to. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines 
our hearts. So how did Paul look at the gospel? From this passage, what would you say? How, how would you, what would you say about Paul and what he said there? Right. We've been entrusted with it. It was a trust. It was something that he gave to us that we could use and take care of. Um, just to give a just to give a little bit of an example, I can trust Jeff. I can't trust Rick. If I give if I give Jeff my Bible and I entrust it to him. I'm letting him have it. Keep it until I ask for it back. Now, what would be my expectation when I give him my Bible to care for, when I entrust it to him? What would I expect? He would read it. He would read it. He would take care of it. When I give it back, it's going to be just as good as when I gave it to him. Because it was a trust. It was something I entrusted to him. Didn't give it to him to keep, just entrusted it to him. For him to be able to use as he saw fit. God has entrusted us with the truth of the gospel, and he expects us to take care of it. He expects us to cherish it. He expects us to use it while we have it, and uh, use it for his glory. That's what it means to be entrusted with the gospel. Charles Spurgeon says, No one of us can be exempted from the work of spreading the gospel because we are engaged in some other work. Good as it is, though it may be very intimately connected to the kingdom of Christ, yet it does not exonerate us from the work of endeavoring to bring sinners to Christ. There's nothing whatsoever in the whole world compass of Scripture to excuse any mouth from speaking for Jesus when the heart is really acquainted with his salvation. We are all called to make Jesus known if we know him. Let us trust in the divine energy of the Holy Ghost and speak the truth in reliance upon his might. Great quote. If we are under divine orders to share the gospel, then why do we hesitate? Cowardice. Cowardice, okay. (laughs) Well, that's actually kind of the first one. Intimidation. We're afraid of failing. Right? Pardon? Fear of man. Fear of of most anything. What am I going to say? What, what, uh, or what if they reject it? Because when we, with rejection, what are we afraid they're going to reject? Us. 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 We're really not as concerned about the word as we are us. We don't want to be labeled as, um, What do I want to say, a weirdo, <laughs> a, a fanatic, a religious fanatic or whatever, uh, maybe we should be. Paul said in, the, uh, in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he's exhorted us that the gospel is the power of God, and we are to pray for boldness to speak with confidence. In Acts 4.29, it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. Acts 4.29. 
So we are sometimes we're afraid of intimidation, afraid of failing. Sometimes it's peer pressure, uh, afraid of not being accepted, being called religious. It is God who converts souls, not the messengers. That's what we have to remember if we're going to do evangelism. Um, you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Mark can't even save anybody. It's only God who can do it. Uh, I was reminded I'd, I'd heard this quote from uh, that an older pastor was in a service and, and the young pastor was in the pulpit and he was really, really discouraged because every service he would get done with the service, make a plea to the congregation, and nobody moved. Nothing happened. At the end of the service, he's standing by the back door, kind of a long face on him, and the old gentleman walks up and pats him on the shoulder, and he said, Remember, son, the harvest comes at the end of the age, not the end of the service. That's what we have to be. We may be out there, you may be out there, and you may be sharing the gospel with somebody, and you may have shared it several times with them, and it looks like you're up against an immovable object. They don't want to listen. They don't respond. They have a blank look on their face. But you've done what you were required to do in sharing with them. It's not your responsibility for them to make a decision of any kind for the Lord. It's God who converts the soul. Again, Spurgeon, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converter of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it power to convert the soul. The power lies in the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Ignorance of the gospel message. We need to know the message. Boy, do we need to know the message. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I think this is one of the key reasons that we don't, is that we don't understand. For somebody just asked me how long I've been a deacon. I said, well, I really don't know, but it's over 30 years, I'm sure. But in those 30 years, I've had the privilege, time and time again, to sit and listen to people give me their testimony when they come and apply for membership. You have to, when you apply for membership, you go to the to the Saturday morning, uh, what do they call new members, new members class, or whatever they call that, and then. Uh, read the Constitution, the bylaws, and if you want to become a member of the church, then you have to sit with two of the deacons and give your testimony. How do you say? I really enjoy doing it, but it's really, really, really eye-opening to sit and listen to people share their version of the gospel. Because when, I, when I'm interviewing someone uh, in my Later years, I got a little wiser in how you go about doing this. And I would ask them, you share with me your testimony, but I want to sh- you to share with me your understanding of the gospel and share it with me as if I'm an unsaved person 
and you're going to witness to me and introduce me to Christ. And boy, I tell you what, how many people look at you like an old goat looking at a new gate? You want me to do what? I want you to share with me. I want you to share with me the gospel as if you're talking to me as an unsaved person. And they go right back to, well, when I was six years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I've been walking with him ever since. And okay, that's not going to get me saved. That's not an understanding of the gospel. Because where does the gospel start? If you're going to share with somebody the gospel, what, why, what's the reason you're doing it? Because God, God told us to. That's a great place to start. But when well, you're talking to them, where are you going to start? Why would we share with them? They need to repent. They need to repent. You know, why do we share with a young person how to do math? Because they don't know how. And we're kind of trying to introduce them to it and instruct them in it so they know how to do it. And this person's come and you're, and you're talking to them and you have to start somewhere. You have to have a starting point, a place to jump off and to make an impact in their life. We have to let them know, first of all, that they are sinful before a holy God. They have to see themselves as a sinner. You know, there's, there's an old... Said, they've always said that, and I'm not, I'm not a lifeguard, so I don't know, but that if you're going to rescue a drowning person, you have to convince them they're drowning before you can do it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I, it sounds like it makes sense. You know, they have to realize they're drowning. When you're going to share Christ with a person, they have to realize that they need Christ. They have to realize that there's a problem in their life and whatever they're doing isn't going to correct it. It's not going to get them where they want to go or where they need to go, maybe we should say. So the first step we have to do is convince them that they are sinful and that they're sinful before a holy God. That when they sin, they are offending that holy God. God doesn't tolerate sin, no matter what. And sin always has to have a penalty paid for it. And what's the penalty for sin? Death. Somebody has to die. That was the purpose of the cross. Somebody had to die. It was Christ that died on our behalf for our sins to pay the price. They have to understand that they need a Savior to save them from their sins. So you have to convince them that they're sinners. Most people uh, don't think they're as bad as what you think they are because I'm probably not as bad as Mark, or I'm not as bad as Rick. I mean, they're, they're worse than me, so why don't you talk to them? I'm okay. I think I'm okay. It wasn't all bad when we had the old evangelism explosion. You remember evangelism explosion, the, the, uh, the James Kennedy plan? That's what brought me to Christ. i, I got to say it's good, okay? Because <laughs> it was. But... It, there was a man came to our house that we had visited the church and he came on a Thursday night and he sat across the, the room from me and his first question was that if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I was like every good United Methodist, you better believe it, buddy, I'll be there. Yep. Well, he said, 
if you had to stand before God tonight and tell him why you, he, you should be left into his heaven, what are you going to tell him? I don't know. What am I supposed to tell him? And he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> that night, he wouldn't tell me. But he invited us to come because they were having evangelistic meetings the next week. He said, you come be my guest on the first night. I don't know what the man preached that night. Couldn't tell you one word that he said. But when he gave the invitation, I was the first one down the aisle. And that man met me at the end of the aisle, led in Christ. Brought me to repentance. Showed me how to pray. Showed me how to give. Showed me how to serve. Showed me how to read my Bible. How to study. How to do everything. He did what Matthew 28 tells us to do. He was a disciple. He was making a disciple. And he, he just, he was my spiritual father for the rest of my life. But he showed me that I needed a savior to take care of my sin problem. That when I stood before him, I would know how to answer. Why are you here? I'm here because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross to cover my sins with his blood and the price that he paid. I, I'm going to take, do I have time? Yeah, I've got time. There was, there was a thing came up on someplace on the internet. I don't remember what it was. And it was Alistair Begg. Everybody know who Alistair Begg is? <laughs> Alistair Begg said the one person he wants to talk to when he gets to heaven <coughs> was the thief on the cross. He says, you think about this. He's, he's there. He's blaspheming Christ. It goes to darkness. And all of a sudden, he's telling the other guy to shut up because this guy's the real deal. And he says to Jesus, what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you will be with me tonight there. So he gets to heaven. Now, listen, he's gone from the cross to heaven. Okay? He hasn't had time to be baptized. Hasn't had time to be taught. Hasn't had time for anything. And he gets to heaven and the angel says, what are you doing here? I don't know. I don't know. Well, why are you here? I don't know. Well, well, let me go get my supervisor. So the supervisor comes back and he says, why are you here? I don't know, he says. Well, you are settled on, on the justification by the doctrine of justification by faith. Never heard of it. Don't know, have a clue what you're talking about. But, well, then why in the world are you here? He says, I'm here because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That was the key. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's why I'm there. Because his Holy Spirit invited me to come to salvation. I thought it was a great story. It really is. Understand that God, through the sacrifice of Christ, is the only means of salvation. There's no other way. There's not many roads that are going to lead us to get to heaven. There's only one, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice and the blood of Christ. And this is, this is the, the key. And I actually added this today just it just seemed like I was missing something. Salvation begins with repentance. I said for 30 years I've been listening to people giving me their testimonies. And I could probably count on one hand the number of people 
that started with sin and repentance. That I was a horrible lost sinner and the Holy Spirit brought me to repentance before a holy God. Because repentance is the key. Without repentance, there's no salvation. What were Jesus' very first words of ministry when that are recorded in Scripture? You need to repent and be saved. The two are, inter, are interlocked. They're intertwined. There has to be repentance in order for there to be regeneration. But in order for there to be a change of life, there has to be repentance. The whole idea of repentance is that you're changed in direction. You're, you're headed this way, hell bound to heaven, to hell, and now you're going to change and you're going to a different direction. You're going to heaven. And it all happens because of repentance when you put your sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.34 For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We need to understand and communicate that the gospel is exclusive It demands either acceptance or rejection. The the real key that Jesus would, would point out when he began his teaching was that there was two gates, right? One was a narrow gate, the other was a wide gate. And he talked about how many people were on the narrow way. Very few. They were following the narrow way, but on the wide way, there was many, many, many that were going. And it's exclusive. It's, a lot of people don't like to hear that. Well, why can't I do this? Or can't, why can't I do that to get into heaven? Why can't I do something else to get into heaven? And yet, it was the only way. There's only one way, and we either accept that way or we reject it. And when we reject it, we have already sealed our doom. The truths that most people do not understand. Um, I'm going to let you uh, do a little, a little Bible uh, verse reading. Let's see, uh, who's all's got their Bible? Rick, would you look up Mark 10, 26 and 27? And Jeff, would you do Psalm 5, 4 and 5? And Mark, uh, Colossians 2, 9. Uh, who else has a Bible that's out and open? Kelly, you do? Okay, will you do First Peter 3.18? And then uh, we can all do Romans 6.23 together. <laughs> so, man cannot save himself. Mark 10.26 and 27. And they were even more astonished and said to him that he can be saved. Looking upon him, Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, in that particular passage, this is when Jesus had been approached by the rich, rich young man who came and wanted to know what else he needed to do to have eternal life. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Sell everything, give to the poor. So we have to sell everything, give to the poor in order to get saved? He did. <laughs> yeah, basically... Because he, he went away sorrowful because he had what? Many riches. He wasn't willing to give them up. He wasn't willing to make Christ the center of his life. 
the most important thing in his life. Makes it difficult sometimes. God is holy and righteous and he hates sin. Psalm 5, 4 and 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Hmm. God hates sin, doesn't he? Jesus Christ is God. Colossians 2.9 For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. He's God. He is God. There's no getting around it. Christ's death on the cross was for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 He died for our sins, and Christ offers heaven as a free gift of God. Romans 6.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what's the free gift? Salvation. He gave it to us. His gift. Well, what then should be our strategy for evangelism? Witness your life. Matthew 5, 14 and 15. I've got it here. Just hang on a second. There we go. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, do you reflect godliness, bringing, excuse me, bringing glory to God? That's a, that's a penetrating question. Do I glorify God? Do I reflect Godliness, the second one is even more convicting. If people knew you were a Christian, would, they, would you be dishonoring God? What, what do I mean by that? If people knew I was a Christian, would they want to have what I have? Kind of like parroting, isn't it? You, you really have to live up to whatever it is you're telling your children you want them to do. You can't say one thing and then be something different or act differently or uh, get by with something that isn't there and shouldn't be there. It's dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to Christ. So if we're going to share with people, then we need to have our lives in tune. We need to pray. Colossians 4, 3 and 4 says, um, let's see. Pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. And then Ephesians 1 
18. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I don't know about you. I, I struggle with evangelism. I'm not going to stand up here and, and tell anybody that I'm a great evangelist and I'm out there every day doing what I can to share the gospel with everybody I come in contact with because I don't. And I don't, <coughs> as often as I should, pray about it. How often do we, in our prayer time, we'll go through the list of people that we pray for, and generally they're people we probably won't see that day, but we pray for them anyway, someplace they're on our list. But how often do we pray, Lord, lead me across the path of someone today I can share with, that I can just give a word of testimony to, that I can be a witness to? We have to be intentional about evangelism or it's not going to happen. This past week, we were at our, one of our favorite places right across the street having an ice cream sundae at Mr. Goody's. And we were just finishing up. It was the middle of the afternoon. Levi and I had met my wife to, to have a treat. And this older gentleman walked by. Never saw him before in my life. But he stopped and he asked how we were. That we're fine. Did you enjoy your ice cream? Yeah. You don't have a church home? Well, we were going to say, yeah, we're over here. Afterward, I thought, I really should, I wish I would have said, no, why? Do you ask? <laughs> but I know where he was going. He was using that as a springboard to say, if I would have said, no, I don't have a church home, then he was going to share the gospel with me. I guess he figured as long as I have a church home, maybe I'm hearing the gospel. <laughs> he, he, he probably should have pursued a little farther. But he was doing his part. He was being intentional about the gospel and asking, do you have a church home? Because most people that don't have a church home probably don't know Christ and probably are not interested in things of the Lord. So... Pray and ask God to give opportunities. Not just to pray for those people that are on our list that have been there forever that we pray for, but to ask for opportunities. Mr. Warner, there's that song. I don't know if it's a hymn, I don't know if anybody knows, but Lord lays some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And mm-hmm. may I always do my part to win that soul through thee. Is that does anybody know? Is that part of a hymn or is that just a I believe it is. You're, you're asking old people to remember. Yeah, it sounds. There you go. Google it because you can find anything on Google, even if it's Christian. Did you find it? I think so. It's like the title is "Lord Life Some Soul." There you go. The title is the words. Hmm. Okay, and then use the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. Someone look that up and read it. I thought I had it written down here, but I don't. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active and 
and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Amen. That's a great verse to pray. When, when you think about that, about that verse, how powerful the Word of God is and that it searches your soul. When was, when was the last, I, I try to think of my own self in the last time that I was reading a passage of scripture and it's just like one of those, you know, it hits you that you're guilty of that, son. And the Holy Spirit speaks and then it's a time for repentance. It's a time to get right, to confess it because the word has pointed it out. Someone look up Acts 17, 2 and 3. And Paul, as his custom was, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Hmm. And he did it more than once, didn't he? Sometimes we have to go back and go back and go back and go back and continue to study and look and be able to share. How about 2 Timothy 3.15? If you were ever in Awanas, you should know this by heart. self-approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? We have to study. We have to prepare. We have to know what verses to go to in the scripture in order to be able to share with somebody the gospel of of Christ. You can't just... It's the word that brings conviction. It's the word that does everything that needs to be done along with the Holy Spirit. He uses the word to bring the conviction. He uses the word to bring change and transformation. Jim? Yeah. It's okay. My favorite evangelist without question is Ray Comfort. Okay. And he starts with the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And he loves to quote Galatians 3.24 before the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. And of course, word tutor there doesn't mean teacher. It refers to um, pedagogue, a special designation of slave in Greek households whose responsibility was to get the kids to the school teacher and then follow up and make sure they learned what they had been taught. Mm-hmm. And he says that the law is what brings the conviction so that people understand the and you can go online and watch him preaching on the street and giving somebody the law. Sometimes the big crowd, sometimes the individuals. And people stand there and they're all proud and arrogant. I don't have anything to repent of. I'm as good a man as you are and blah, blah, blah. And as he just goes back and forth, well, here's the commandment about stealing. Have you ever stole anything? Give anything small. And as he, as he hits them with this, you just watch step by step their faces just fall and they get under conviction. And it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So the law, 
mean, scripture is scripture. Scripture is scripture. But the law says it's our tutor to lead us to Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the well-known preachers, John Wesley, said, uh, "No man is ready for grace until he trembles before just and all the law." And Spurgeon said the same kind of thing. So I, mean, I just want to throw another scripture. No, that was a great one. It really is. And if you ever have a chance to watch any of his videos, they are good. He does, he does a great job with being able to confront people. You know, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. What's that make you? Makes you a liar. And they don't want to say liar. Yeah, they don't want to say liar, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what you are. Did you ever steal a pencil or, or a piece of candy? Yeah, well, what does that make you? Makes you a thief. And you can go on and whatever the commandment was that you wanted to go to, and we're guilty. We're all guilty before God because we all fail in so many ways. You know, Pastor was talking to you just a few weeks ago about how um, until the law, sin wasn't imputed, and uh, how you know, we're more guilty now that we have the law than we were before. So I'll shut up. No, no, that's fine. No, because even Paul said the law was what brought him to, to, to Christ. It was what taught him that he was a sinner. If it would have been for the law, he would have known he was a sinner. And same for us. If without the law, you didn't know you broke anything. So, great. Great, great addition. We must be ready to speak of Christ in any situation. We must know the essentials of the gospel. and We must have confidence in God and his word. Let's turn with me to, to John chapter 3. We're just, we're just going to go over this really quick. We've got a few minutes here at the end. <clears throat> the beautiful part about scripture in, in, in Christ is he always... He didn't ask us anything he didn't equip us to do. And he didn't show us what to do. And in John chapter 3, I think it's one of the neatest stories that he shares in, in sharing himself with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him, and this man came to him at night, verse 2, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in our vernacular, and in the way we look at things today, Jesus is, it would look like Jesus is coming out of left field. Where in the world do you come up with that, with what Nicodemus has just said? But, He's really answering a question that's in Nicodemus' mind. Jesus does have one advantage over us. He's omniscient. He knows everything, and he knew exactly what Nicodemus was thinking. And he knew why he was there. And he confronts him right out of the gate with his biggest problem. And Nicodemus says, well, then how can anyone be born when he is old? And Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. 
Nicodemus understood what he was talking about because they would have, he would have taught in the same kind of vernacular as a teacher. And what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, that everything you have believed, Nicodemus, up to this point, you need to forget it. You need to take it out of your life because it wasn't right. You need to start all over again at ground zero. You all are going to have a baby really soon, right? What can that baby do when it gets here? Sin. Sin, yeah. <laughs> they basically, they eat, they sleep, they pee, they poop, they cry. And that's it. They're dependent upon somebody to teach and instruct them from the ground up. Because they don't know anything when they're first born. And Jesus is basically saying to Nicodemus, when you come to know me as your Savior, it's going to be totally different than anything you've ever experienced as a Pharisee, and you're going to have to start from zero and be taught all that you need to know to be able to serve God. And he's telling Nicodemus this because Nicodemus should have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? In verse 10, I would hate to be in Nicodemus' shoes right here. When Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You don't understand this? You've been teaching? And you're in this high position and you don't understand the most basic part of Scripture and what I'm teaching you. doesn't say in here whether or not at this particular moment Nicodemus came to know Christ as Savior, but he obviously did because he was the one who asked for his body when he died, and every indication is that he was, and he came to know him. So that was Jesus being able to share with a religious person who thought they had everything that they needed. It's a lot easier to share with a person who knows absolutely nothing about Scripture than somebody who goes to church all the time at, a, say, a liberal church and thinks that they're okay, a religious person. So Jesus has, has approached a religious person. In John chapter 4, he goes the other way. He's on a long journey. He's come to a, into Samaria. He stops by a well, and he asks the woman at the well to give me a drink. What was her response? Remember? Why are you, a Jew, asking me, Samaritan, for anything? She would have been even more amazed that he as a man was speaking to her as a woman. Because that would not have happened in that culture. And Jesus is approaching her and he's there for a specific purpose. And he goes on to tell her that he would give her the, the water of life, basically. A water that would cause her never have to thirst again. She at first didn't understand, but when she did, she received it with joy. Holy Spirit had prepared her, brought her to that place. It was no accident that she showed up at the well at the same time he showed up at the well. No accident that the disciples had gone in and left Jesus there by himself. He was tired, obviously. In his human body, he had gotten tired. It was a long journey that they had taken. He was thirsty. 
and he asked for a drink of water, he took the situation that he was in, asked a simple question, and turned the whole conversation to her need for the Savior. Now, he's Christ, obviously. He's God. He can do that easier than we do, I suppose. <laughs> but it's not that difficult for us to be able to take situations and turn them to speak of spiritual things. It can be as simple as, do you have a church home? Or do you know my Savior? Do you know Christ? It's something we have to be intentional about. We'll actually probably talk about it a little more next week because next week we're going to be talking about obedience. And what does it mean to be obedient? And evangelism is probably the one area of our Christian life that we are most disobedient in, if you're like me. And I would imagine most everybody in this room is a lot like me, more like me than they are the man that came and asked me if I had a church home. <laughs> and that we don't do it. And it's something that we need to repent of, confess it, repent of it, and then ask God to help us to overcome it, to be intentional, to be what Pastor talked about this morning in his message. I thought, wow, this is, this is great to tie into this because that's what he really was talking about. Sin doesn't have dominion over you any longer only because if you determine that you're not going to submit yourself to it. You have the power through the gospel you have the power through the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you to resist and not give in to those temptations and sins. And we have that same power to resist and not give in to the temptation not to share because I'm afraid or I'm afraid of what they'll think or I don't know what to say. Just share your testimony. Share what God has done in your life, how he has changed you and how he has transformed you. And... Let the Holy Spirit carry it from there. First Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Living our lives so that people see something different that they want in your life if they don't see something different then they may not want what you want what you have <laughs> Mark hey John I was just just crystallizing what you were saying too is that MacArthur said salvation is either God's accomplishment or man's effort and so we have to remember that in all these cases grace had to be working before so sometimes we're trying to convince people who can't be convinced. I was just reading this in 1 Corinthians. This should be marked in everybody's Bible, even the King James Bible. It says, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man, which is the lost person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. It didn't say it cannot. It says, does not. Why? There's a foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them 
because they're spiritually discerned. So what is that? How does that work on our good efforts to try to get people evangelized? Well, we evangelize everybody because we don't know who God's grace is working ahead. But the thing is, our efforts have to be in presenting a clear gospel, not trying to convince people to be saved. Because it doesn't work. If you're going to convince them and they get emotional, they make a decision, a lot of people make decisions and walk away. So I'm taking the pressure off of trying to convince people to be saved. Because this passage, and John 6.44 says this, says, no one comes to Christ unless the Father first draws them to him. So God is doing the work ahead of us. And so we're sharing the gospel, and that's what they're responding to. And that's why the guy said, hey, you got a church family. And if you'd have been really you know, bold by being rude to him and shut him down, he would say, grace is not working now. So he's looking for where God is working grace. That's what I do. I ask certain spiritual questions. And if they're open to the gospel, I don't push my way in the gospel. I share the message. And if I'm more focused on what Christ did in that message rather than what I'm doing to present the message. It's easier and simpler to just be evangelistic. And the word evangelism in the Greek is good news. So I'm just giving you the good news. Mm-hmm. You don't want the good news, you shouldn't have it. Don't worry about it. And it takes the pressure off, you know, and we have to remember that God is the one doing this work. And if you look, remember you did John 3, which is a beautiful passage, verse 8. It said the spirit, the wind blows wherever it wants to. And just the verse 7 just said that the Holy Spirit was the wind. So the Holy Spirit goes and does what he wants to do and saves what he wants. So he blows and he goes where he wants to, he said. And that was the purpose, is that we're, it's not about our efforts that people get saved, although we're, we're commanded to. And I trust that my efforts are going to be blessed by God because I'm being obedient to share the good news. But I know it's not my effort that saves anything. It's God's grace. So grace has to go before. Great God. And Jesus picked her at the well because she was the one he picked. Now, he could have picked others. He didn't. So it wasn't a random thing just because Jesus had the best gospel. It was because God was doing that work and that was part of the plan. So, so I just take the pressure off by just remembering the good news is what Christ did, not what we do. And that's very helpful to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. The other thing that, that we need to emphasize, and I forgot this when we were going through Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, go therefore and make what? Disciples. What does that mean? Has your responsibility ended if the person receives Christ as their Savior? Are you bobbleheads, or are we? Are we you are teach we them sure? to observe everything that he's commanded. So, and your, the reason that they do that is because all authority is given to Jesus. Yeah. So, our our responsibility to that person now has just begun. It's not just finished. He didn't tell us to go into the world and make converts. He said, "Go into the world and make disciples." And he is expecting us that when a person comes, then we're going to invest like. In my testimony, the man that led me to the Lord didn't stop there. That was just the beginning of what he was going to do in my life. Because he was, he took me under his wing as a disciple. And he was my teacher. And he 
he invested the time to teach and instruct week in and week out and week in and week out. Thursday night, go calling. Wednesday night, be in prayer meeting, sitting next to me, listening to me. And it's a great example. It's a great example of what it is to be a disciple maker. Yeah, that's a good one. I love this discipleship thing. I've, I got a guy in disciple and witness to him, and he's, he's I'm not sure the church thing is for me. I said, so, you know, have you have you really done an investigation? You checked it out? He's like, yeah, you know, I've heard this and that. I said, why don't you go with me on a study to find out what you're rejecting? Not to be a Christian. I'm not. I'm saying you don't have to be a Christian. What if I take you on a journey to show what you're rejecting and let you make that decision? Then it's absolutely clear when you tell people it's not for me. He says, yeah, okay, that's fine. So I'm now evangelizing him because I'm taking him through the scripture to show him what he's actually missing, like the wrath of God, you know, things like that, you know, hell. I mean, we're going through the whole thing. He's like, what? So yeah, that's that's what you're rejecting. You're rejecting God. You're embracing this. And So little by little, it's, I can see the conviction building it. But again, I can't say that. The Lord has saved me. But sometimes I'm discipling for a decision to see what, they're, what they want. So their decision is usually emotional. But I want them to base it on what they, a literal biblical reason. And sometimes they're open to it, sometimes they're not. But sometimes discipleship helps them take them to that place, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good, good. Okay, any other comments? I forgot to bring it with me tonight. I had the thing laid out and forgot it, left it in the cupboard. But there's a, a, a little book that is extremely helpful. I've probably read it five or six times already. It's, it's a little study guide from John MacArthur, and it's called Jesus Only. And it really, it goes through um, everything you need to know about salvation. What Christ did, what your responsibility is, it, it just, it, he just walks you through it. Uh, it's available, I think they have it here. In, well, I saw it, I saw it in my, my books. You have yeah, yeah. yeah, and if you can get them online. You can get it. You can you can download it off a of Kindle. Right. Um, it's re- really available. It's I always say you know it's one of those bathroom books. It's small. You can read a chapter very quickly and <laughs> without falling asleep. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So anyway, guys, it, it's a great book for for a there's guy. There's another one they need. It's called Proof of Salvation. It's a PDF you can download from MacArthur. I open it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Proof of salvation. And it's free. Yeah. Yeah. I think this other $6.99 or something like that. It's, it's $10. Ten dollars. Still I have it's a it's a little excerpt of of the gospel according to Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I got okay. both of Okay. Good. All right, let's close it with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time we've had tonight. Help us this week, Father, each one to have someone uh, that we pray for, someone that we intentionalize, intentionally try to share with, to reach out to, um, to meet a physical and then lead to a spiritual need if, if need be in a neighbor or a friend or an acquaintance, a co-worker, that, Father, we truly might be your witnesses. Bless us in this week, Father. Go with us to our homes tonight. We just praise you and thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for Jesus. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.